You are listening to the Logos broadcast with Fergus James Murphy. How's it going? Fergus here. About 10 minutes ago, I just got off the phone with Ray Darcy, and I was very lucky to, to have the chance to talk to him on his radio show on RT Radio 1. Um, however, we only spoke for a couple of minutes, and there were a few things that I had to say that I didn't, unfortunately, have the time to share with Ray and his listeners uh, across Ireland. So, if I may, I'm going to share a few of my observations uh, based on the last year I've been living in America and also uh, based on the last three and a half years that I've spent predominantly in the American South and um, I suppose my two cents as a result of that. So a couple of things. First of all, the what what's going on with the polls and a couple of things there. So first of all, it's worth pointing out only about half of the American people voted the last time in the presidential election. So you could say 51% voted for Hillary or 52, whatever it was, but really it was probably 26% versus 24 for Trump or something like that. This year, we don't really know what it's gonna be like, but uh, it's probably gonna be a higher turnout this year. And the polls are inherently misleading for a number of reasons. Firstly, because not everyone votes, uh, but secondly, because some people aren't actually comfortable saying out loud that they would vote for Donald Trump and uh, they don't trust the person that they're on the phone to or whoever they're talking to and they don't speak honestly. Uh, and then when they're in a polling booth, they, they speak their mind as it were. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is, and I don't know how much weight you would put on this, but I've heard a lot of people tell me that in order to mislead the pollsters on purpose, people intentionally um, falsify their intentions as a kind of a trolling um, mechanism. Now, whether that works politically, I don't know. But anyway, that's just a couple of things to bear in mind. But look, I'm not the first person to highlight uh, the limitations of the polls. Obviously, they were wrong four years ago and uh, Trump shocked everyone. The Trump people would be hoping that the same would happen this year. I don't know, obviously. Uh, if that's going to happen or not. The other thing I would say is that when you talk about American politics, there's no established narrative in this country uh, that establishes what exactly is going on in the United States. So you turn on one TV channel and they're going to be showing you maybe a Trump rally and him uh, talking to his supporters and it's shown in a positive light. And then while he's speaking at that very rally you go to the other channel and there are four people discussing uh, what Trump has said most recently on Twitter or who is Trump aligning with her or what is the danger of Trump's um, rhetoric and all of that so you actually don't have okay this is the news and here's how I feel about that most people in America get their source uh, or get their news from a particular source that aligns with them so it's, it's really quite frightening to see how diverging or how divergent the, the narratives are. And, and it's really, I don't think the big concern here is if Trump wins or, or if Biden wins, because they're just two individual politicians and, and life will go on. The world will keep spinning tomorrow. But what's more frightening for me is that um, the way we keep our politicians in check and the way we keep the powerful people in check, whether they're business people or big technological 
uh, companies or corporations or, or pharmaceutical people or whatever the case may be, the way we do that is, is through journalism and through discourse. And right now in America, there is no shared space. There's no safe space for those conversations to happen really uh, in the mainstream. So that's the big issue in my opinion. Um, and, and Trump and Biden are participants in that conversation, but uh, it's not a real conversation to begin with. And it's, it's really, um, it's not good <laughs> in my opinion. Um, the other thing I would say, and I was just talking to my dad after, the, after I spoke to Ray and um, I recalled, I think it must have been in 2011, that Christmas, Fianna Fáil had been decimated in the Irish elections in 2011. They had overseen uh, Ireland's descent into recession and uh, the collapse of our, our boom, at the end of the Celtic Tiger, the Green Party too, uh, were part of that government and they faced a massive backlash and, and Fianna Fáil went from 70 something seats to I think it was 15 or 16 seats and then when Brian Lenehan died in May, I think it was May or June of 2011, Fianna Fáil didn't have a single TD in the capital city of Dublin and this was a party who had, who had been dominant in Irish politics for a very long time. And one of my dad's friends remarked to him, um, and I was present in this conversation, that he had been to the Fianna Fáil Ardèche, uh, which had taken place in between the election and, and Christmas. And normally, at an opposition party Ardèche, at this time Fianna Fáil were in the opposition, what normally happens is the opposition party are fired up, they're ready to go, and they're excited about taking on the government and taking down the government and working together uh, for that cause in a way that the government Ardesh party mightn't um, be fired up in the same way, right? So what was observed at this particular Ardesh was that Fianna Fáil didn't show that excitement and there was a kind of a, um, there was a lack of that excitement. And, and the way this is relevant to America, I think right now is there is no party in America right now who is seen as the underdog, who's seen as the opposition and who feels emboldened by that position and who feels like they could do things better and, and isn't this a, a good thing and this is exciting to take on the other guys. Both political parties in America, it seems to me, are so uh, paranoid and angry and agitated and upset and the same goes for the people that there isn't this optimism about the future um, held by one or other party and I think that um, that's worth pointing out. Normally there's, this is the government and, and here's, well, let's take them on but in America there doesn't seem to be that um, that optimism among the 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 underdog, really. Which um, I don't know where that's going to go, but but it's uh, the tension is very high, obviously. And the last thing I would say, maybe the second last thing, <laughs> is that uh, a couple more things. Sorry, last night. See, this is this is just worth pointing out because this kind of thing doesn't happen in Ireland. I saw an ad. Uh, on YouTube and the ad said something along the lines of it's not public who you voted for so your 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 neighbors won't be able to tell if you voted for Trump or Biden in this election but what will be public and what will be on the voter records and, and registration records is if you voted or not so you better vote because if you don't vote your neighbors will know and your family will know and um, the implication was that it's in your interests that you weren't the guy or gal who, who didn't vote, who didn't represent your community. 
and this particular ad was funded by a Hispanic um, political uh, alliance or, or organization or something. I don't, I can't remember the name of them. But anyway, I just thought that was quite invasive and it wouldn't happen in Ireland where you're getting an ad saying, your friends know if you voted or not. Uh, so you, you'd better you, you'd better go out. I, I just thought it was a bit intimidating or something. Um, and, and the implication in this case would be, I think it's fair to say, your duty is probably to vote against Trump in this particular case. Um, just based on who it was coming from and and the current climate that we're in right now. And yeah, where now? As for the um, as for the the as for the virus, here's something that uh, you wouldn't have been hearing on RT or BBC. Uh, or CNN, but it's true, <laughs> according to my research. There are supposedly 230,000 virus deaths or something in America, which is a lot of people. Now let's not um, trivialize that number, right? That's an awful lot of people. That's nearly one in a thousand people have died from this thing, according to the figures. But two things on that. According to the CDC or the WHO, I can't remember who, and this shows my ignorance, but uh, some established body of experts have said that 94% of the American COVID deaths occurred among people who had two or more significant comorbidities. So it's unclear exactly how many of those people would have died if they didn't have the virus. But this figure, 230,000 or whatever it is, that's the COVID figure. And it's not quite accurate and it's not quite comprehensive. And this is what the conversation is around. It's, oh, as a result of the virus, 200,000 people have died. It's not quite that simple. And it's not in the media companies or the media organizations interest to say, oh, maybe this figure isn't quite accurate because let's remember, media organizations thrive off people. They thrive off bad news. They are in demand when bad things are happening. And if it's good news all day long, people don't feel the need to be clued in because it's all good. When something bad's happening, you're looking around you and you're, you're panicking and you're saying, oh, what's the incoming threat? So there are two reasons for the media people to, to blow up this figure as much as they can. Number one, it's that it's more bad news, so more business for them. And number two, let's face it, the vast majority of the media in America and probably in the Western world is very much against Trump's um, uh, motives and, and Trump's ideology, if you could say that he has an ideology. So it looks bad for Trump if the deaths are higher. Um, so that's it's in their interest to make those figures higher than, than what might be a more nuanced picture. The other thing about the, the Trump thing and the virus, which just came to mind, is the American people overall are quite unhealthy compared to countries in Western Europe. and. I'm sure there are infinite numbers of statistics you could look at for that. If you just look at obesity, if you look at heart disease, uh, in various parts of the country, there'd be probably more people smoking and things like that. But you just need to look around you if you're in America, particularly in the South, there are a lot of people who are quite overweight and, and they're not as healthy as probably your average German person or your average French person or your average English person or your Anglo uh, average Swedish person or your average Irish person. So they're probably more at risk of dying from whatever will come along, uh, whether it's 
the, the virus or or some other condition that might take them out um, as as callous as that sounds but it's not like we're dealing with um, young it doesn't necessarily mean young but we're not dealing with healthy people uh, a lot of them who, who are dying from this so that's also a factor which isn't revealed in the 200 something thousand deaths you see the 200 and something thousand and you say that's a massive number and and what really i think we should be looking at is why are the american people so unhealthy and why are they so ill-prepared to deal with uh, a virus that comes along um, and 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 why are their immune systems not strong enough uh to 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 fight it uh, obviously there are some people and and they're old and they're frail and they're unhealthy for for reasons that um are not of their own doing right and also i'm not pointing the finger at, at overweight people or, or unhealthy people and saying it's your fault and and you should cop yourself on but i do think it would be helpful to have a conversation how can you boost your immune system how can you become healthier how much exercise should you be having how many pieces of fruit and vegetables should you be eating every day and that sounds condescending or patronizing maybe uh, but these aren't the conversations that we're hearing uh, these days and um, it's probably not a good idea to be living the kind of a lifestyle that is lived uh, in many parts of America where you do everything practically out of your car. For example, you drive through uh, a drive through McDonald's, you go to the bank and it's a drive through I couldn't believe that when I got here. And also you can do drive through voting. So this is a really unhealthy way of life, um, which I think warrants a closer examination. And it's fundamental to the, to the virus issue uh, and and the susceptibility of people to serious illness and death so that's that um the other thing i i've a, I've a, a friend <coughs> in south carolina he's actually in new hampshire right now and he's a very smart guy and he um he voted for biden he told me and this guy i had a poll on my instagram uh, page for the, the Lagos broadcast and there was a picture of uh, a Fox News broadcast and I said um, good journalism or fake news and it was kind of a joke and this guy responded and he said intellectually dishonest news asterisk and it was a very very good way of putting it this fake news term is thrown around and the media accuses Trump of vilifying the media uh, and maybe sometimes Trump does attack the media just because they're attacking him and, and he doesn't defend himself um, on his own merits and instead he just goes on the offensive. I think there is a certain usefulness to the term though because a lot of the, ter a lot of the news and a lot of the media coverage of any political candidate or any issue in America is definitely intellectually dishonest and it won't take you very long if you actually try to take these things at face value, if you look and see what is the agenda behind this message that I'm being given, that applies to Fox News and CNN. It applies to the New York Times and to the Wall Street Journal. I'm not saying that this is an issue confined to one side or the other, but it's a huge issue. And uh, my heart goes out to the American people because they're good people uh, by and large, and they aren't being told um, the truth in many cases on the news and uh, they get very angry about what's going on and, and and sometimes a more responsible conversation could take place if the coverage was was honest 
and fair. So that's what I have to say about that. Um, and I think I'll leave it at that. And this was a bit of an experiment. As I said, I didn't get to talk to Ray Darcy for as long as I would have liked to, but I still had plenty to say. <laughs> I'm still kind of ramped up. I'm still highly strung. Uh, I'm often highly strung, but today I had the, the adrenaline going for that broadcast uh, that was on RT Radio 1, which I'm very lucky to have had the opportunity to participate in. Um, but there was a lot that I didn't get to say. So there you go. Uh, have a, a good, today's uh, Tuesday. Have a good Tuesday and have a good week. And uh, the world will keep spinning tomorrow, no matter who wins the election. <laughs> Which, by the way, the apparently the results will take a few days to come, come out. And, so it probably won't be clear tomorrow, but uh, you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, Salon Tom, Godspeed. <laughs>